So, Mark. Yes. This past weekend, A Star is Born came out. Ah, yes. That film that we've probably both seen. We have definitely seen it. And it got me thinking about remakes and reboots and relaunches and all of the words that we throw around all the time. But first of all, what is the difference between a reboot and a relaunch? I have no idea. What's the difference between a remake and a reboot and a relaunch? So I think a remake is when you take a similar plot and you make it again. Okay. So like A Star is Born. Yes. Four times. Three times. Okay, it's been remade three times. Yes. It has been made four. Yes. Okay. Then you do... Reboot and relaunch. And I think one of them has to be, like, reactivating something that is dormant. Yeah, I think that's reboot. Reboot, like you turn a computer back on again. Yeah. And then relaunch is when you cast a new Spider-Man. Yeah, or you, like, reconceive it. Like what? Maybe, like, you relaunch it with some major differences, like the Star Treks. Oh, okay. Like, you know how it's a completely new cast, but it's still Star Trek? Yeah, totally. I feel like that might be a relaunch, but a reboot is when you do, like... Reboot is when you bring back yeah. the cast of Arrested Development. Right. Yeah. Like, it's been canceled for a while, but then you reboot it by bringing it back. So if they had made a new Star Trek movie ten years later with Shatner and Nimoy and those guys, that would be a reboot. Right. But since instead they had Chris Pine and Zachary Quinto and those guys, it's a relaunch. Yeah. I'm also talking about, like, from Star Trek to Star Trek The Next Generation and Star Trek Discovery and Star so Trek. are these alternate Star Treks, what are they? Relaunches, I think. This is just my guess. I have no basis for this. I don't think these have hard definitions. No. That's what I think of it as. Do you have a remake, reboot, or relaunch that you are particularly fond of? Um... I mean, there's a lot to choose from these days. Yes, indeed. There's also, I mean, do you say, like, the Lord of the Rings trilogy is a re- uh, reboot? Or of the animated ones? Remake of the Bashi animated ones. Which I have never seen. No one's seen them, because those are pretty great. But obviously, I don't think of those that way. I guess I it counts like... at whether it's, like, if it's a new adaptation of other material, is it a relaunch? I don't even feel like it's that. Especially with something like that, where it's so divorced from the old movies and it's entirely coming from the books again right and i think it's also about time too the fact that everyone has just entirely forgotten those animated movies exist is why we don't think of it that way yeah because if they redid lord of the rings now and claimed it was only on the book it would still feel like a remake of the movie they are literally doing that at amazon i don't think they are i think they're making a series based off of middle earth yes but Sorry. they're not telling the true right they're story. not telling the, the war of the ring which I was worried they would do, because I was like, we've done this. And don't forget, we had three Hobbit movies. Yeah. This is more like Silmarillion nonsense. They're also doing, uh, like, five new series set in the Game of Thrones world. They've put that many into, like, workshopping. They've ordered... Right. They haven't ordered pilots for all day. I think they've ordered two. One or two. One or two. Or at least they've announced showrunners for two. They've announced showrunners for all of them. Really? Oh my god. But that's going But on? that's not like those shows aren't in production. They've announced like people who are like yeah. developing concepts. Yeah. One of them it sounds the most like concrete. Like they've announced that it's set in the Age of Heroes. There's one that they've ordered a pilot for. Yeah. But the others, I don't know where they are. I I don't think anybody does. They're announcing five. Announcing five is a lot. Sorry. They kind of framed it yeah. when they did as being like we're going to get different people working on a bunch of different ideas, and then we're going to see what's good. Like, I don't think their intention is to produce all five of them. Okay, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, if they're all... probably release one and see if it works. Yeah. Um, Also, this is entirely off track. This is just me commenting on (laughs) different... Totally, that's fair. ...what's happening in the world right now. I mean, I was thinking, in terms of, like, a really good reboot or relaunch, depending on how you want to frame it, I thought of Blade Runner 2049. I didn't actually watch that one. It's beautiful. Just the colors alone are great. I think today, as we're recording, 
I saw something on Twitter that it's Denis Villeneuve's birthday. So happy birthday to Denis, like, who is a diehard listener of this podcast. The day we're recording or the day it's coming the out? The day we're recording. Uh, he's a big diehard listener of the podcast. He's a big, big fan. A lot of our movie suggestions come from him. But I think Blade Runner 2049 was a cool example of taking the concepts from the original movie and expanding them in different directions. And I'm interested to see what he does with Dune, speaking of properties that keep coming back. Yeah. That's the thing that's had a couple of weird adaptations. Yeah. I am excited for that, I think. I am too. I've decided. I think he'll do a good job. I've fluctuated, but I think I'm excited. Um, also, I will say that uh, we've covered a few remakes on this show. Yeah, like, what are some examples? Ocean's Eleven. Oh, right. A terrific example of a successful remake. Yeah. The Birdcage. Oh, true. Yeah. They made the movie version already, too. Yeah. I don't know if they ever made an English one, but that probably still counts. I would say it counts. Um, I'm trying to think about it. Because when you take a foreign film and you do an American version of it, I would say that counts as a remake. Remake, yeah. I mean, it's hard to avoid them because everyone's like, oh, all movies these days are based off of books. There's nothing original. I'm like, have you watched movies? (laughs) There's never been original movies. No, exactly. Yeah, like all of the classics you could think of are based off of books. Right. All of Hitchcock, essentially. Mm-hmm. I don't think he has any original ideas. I don't know. I, he probably does, but a lot of them are based off of, like, obscure novels. Right. Or not that Well, that obscure. was the thing with Vertigo, where it was, like, some French book that he bought the rights to before it was published. Yeah. Because he liked the guy's other book. Yeah, and then, like, Rebecca is a novel from, like, the 1910s. Oh, yeah. Like, Daphne du Maunier. I just really like saying that name. I can tell. So, you know, I don't know why I got there, but everything is an adaptation. We're all adapting life, Mark. Yeah, sure. Okay. <laughs> you okay? Cut this out, but I just saw that this one best original song for Evergreen. Oh, yeah. I don't even remember that one. We're gonna talk about that. That's the one, that's the love song. When they're, uh, like, oh, ki- the making one, out while singing in the, the studio. The one that they wrote to be the Oscar winner. Right, exactly. Yep. Okay. Cut that out. Cut that out. <clears throat> uh, it, TBD. <laughs> It's just so off topic. Um, okay. I think it's time. For yeah, whatever. Yeah, I was I just thinking about, you know, we're looking at, we're staring down the barrel. Excuse me. We've already seen the fourth version of A Star is Born. Oh, right. We have. Bradley Cooper sure was in it. Yeah. And Lady Gaga did sing some notes. You bet. Oh. <laughs> um, I'm Mark and I'm gay. Uh, and I'm Will and I'm a ginger. This is Heart of Podness, by the way. Uh, and this is a podcast where we delve deep into cinematic love stories to answer the age old question. Does Hollywood romance actually make any sense? And are these people actually dateable or even likable? It doesn't matter if the romance is a main plot or if it's a one-scene flirtation. We'll dig in and see what's there. And as we have noted, in honor of Bradley Cooper's A Star is Born having opened last week, this week we're covering the most recent previous iteration of the movie, the 1976 A Star is Born, directed somewhat, by Frank Pearson and starring Barbara Streisand and Chris Christopherson, very much in that order. Oh, yes. I don't think I've ever seen a bigger vanity project. Oh, my gosh. This movie is Barbara's show all the way through, and it's very obvious. It's a Barbara Streisand concert with a few scenes shoehorned in. Yeah, I mean, Chris Christopherson just kind of, like, floats through. He's the first guy we're introduced to, but he just kind of, like, wanders through this movie. Yeah. And I don't think that's faulting him. I don't think he's given a whole lot to do. No, this movie just, oh, my God, it makes no sense. So much of this movie happens off screen. Yes. So much of this movie. So much of their relationships are just like, now, oh, they've just met. Now let's jump to them, like, basically married and then actually married. And so much happens off screen and so much on screen is just them canoodling. Right. Like, that's it. They have weird kisses. They don't know how to kiss. It's very unsettling. They just rub their mouths. Their open mouths. Which sounds like 
a kiss, but I mean, it's like, not back and forth. They're open mouth. There's no going. tension. There's no tension. They don't touch. It's just like <laughs> grazing each other's yeah. faces against each other. Yeah, this has of course been uh, the kiss corner with two Ks, like Chris Christopherson. Uh, hashtag kiss corner. I think the weirdest thing to imagine is all of that, but instead of Chris Christopherson, it's Elvis, which almost happened. Oh my god, really? Elvis was who Barbara Streisand wanted to be the male lead in this movie, to the point that she flew to where he was having a concert to be there and, like, get backstage to pitch him personally on the movie. And he was into it, but then his manager got really mad that Streisand hadn't gone through him, insisted that Elvis get top billing on the movie, and asked for a bunch of money, and Streisand and the producers were like, yeah, never mind. Yeah, no, this is clearly Babs's movie. It would be ludicrous for anyone else to have billing above her because nobody else gets to do anything. I know. Oh my god, this movie. And I have watched the first third of the 1954 version. I've never seen another version. I mean, I've already seen the 2018 version, but besides that, I've oh never god. seen another version. I've seen the first third, which is a full hour because that's a three hour movie these movies are all so long and it was very good so like oh wait the conceit is we've already seen this one so yes we've say, already seen the 2018 so one what do you mean the conceit is the conceit reality mark yeah so i was gonna say i have a lot of hope for the bradley cooper version because i've seen that it could be done well this one just wasn't yeah i feel bad just being like, like coming out of nowhere and being like oh this is a vanity project with barbara streisand like a high-powered performer like gets a star vehicle i mean she had had some before but like has this star vehicle and we're being like she shouldn't have gotten this but honestly the movie is worse because it is the barbara streisand show yeah it's not like barbara streisand doesn't deserve a vanity project because she is a huge star it's that this is a bad one it's just she like she kind of ruins it by just with how much she wants to sing i think a part of it the fact is that like because barbara streisand is like too much a star for this movie yeah that like at no point in the movie do you feel like she believes she is just gonna like sing in that weird club with the oreos that's also true. Like, she always seems out of place in any scene where she's not in front of thousands of people. Also, her hair is so distracting. Uh, her hair, done by John Peters. You know, the farmer. Is that really his name? And his name is John Peters. Oh my god. They were dating at the time. John Peters was her hairdresser for a couple of movies, and he's a producer on this movie because, quote, John wanted to be a producer. And he also backed her when, for example, she got in fights with the director, Frank Pearson, who was mostly a TV director in his career. He did one movie before this and one movie after it, but he frequently got in fights with Streisand about scenes, about the structure of the movie. She apparently, when he was like, we're actually not going to do this scene, it's not important, she would just step in and direct it. So when I was like, Frank Pearson kind of directed it, I mean, because Streisand insisted on directing some parts of it, and he had such a terrible time working on it that a month before the movie came came out. He published a first-person essay in New York Magazine talking about how terrible it was to work with Barbara Streisand. Really? Yeah. I'm trying to find it. I haven't been able to dig it up online, but it sounds incredible. Yeah. And, like, that's such a crazy move to make if it isn't really horrible. It's like, I can see it, and I don't dislike Barbara Streisand. This movie does not have her best songs. No, it does not. This movie is not good, but, like... She definitely has good performances out there. Oh, totally. She is a star, but... But this is not where she should be born. No, because she's never born. Exactly. A star exists. And has perfectly spherical permed hair. (laughs) Talking about other people who had bad experience on this movie, Chris Christopherson, who it seems like was maybe like the third choice after Elvis, and then they also looked at Neil Diamond, who went to high school with Barbara Streisand. 
And then eventually they landed on Christofferson, who reportedly said at one point, filming with Streisand is an experience which may have cured me of the movies. Oh my god. People did not enjoy being on this movie. He also compared it to being in a training camp for special forces, where you only sleep for like three hours and the rest of the time you're just very stressed. My god, how... Good lord. Yeah. This is insane. (laughs) Sounds like nobody was happy. Christofferson also didn't get along with the director. He thought it was because uh, they were both veterans. He had been in the army in the 60s, and the director, Pearson, had been in the army during World War II. Yeah. And he thought Pearson looked down on him for not going to fight in Vietnam. Ugh. Men. And here's the thing. People at the time, critics at the time, were like, yeah, this movie is bad. Yeah. There's not not a a lot. Well, it was a popular movie. It was not a well-received movie. This is Barbra Streisand's most successful movie ever. Oh, yeah. I think I did know that. It made $80 million in 76. Oh, my God. On a reported $6 million budget. This was a popular movie. Oh, my God. It won the Oscar for Best Original Song for Evergreen, the weird love song that they kiss while singing, and they were actually kissing while singing because they sing that live in the movie. They actually sang it live? Yes, they did, because Streisand thought it would be more real. Christopherson was really cranky about that. He didn't want to do it. But she wanted a continuous take with a bunch of close-ups, and she's like, if it's close-ups, people are going to notice that we're lip-syncing. So they won an Academy Award for that. They also got nominated for Score, and they cleaned up at the Golden Globes, where they got Best Picture, Musical or Comedy. Streisand and Christopherson both won acting awards how this is a such a golden globes movie though it is because i mean this is exactly what they like yeah since it's divorced from any like dramatic competition right just musicals and comedy and i feel like they prioritize the musicals of the globes the golden globes love a good musical yeah they didn't have to compete with like rocky is that the same year (laughs) oh my god and it's the thing is it's like i've seen that poster everywhere and i think I'm almost certain that this vinyl record exists in my collection of inherited records from my parents. This soundtrack sold huge. Yeah. It was a huge hit. It's like none of the songs are as good as like Rain on My Parade or People. It's also worth noting we watched this on Amazon Prime and the sound mix on the version we watched was dreadful. Oh, it was so It was so hard to hear everything. I adjusted the volume like anytime they switched from music to dialogue. The sound effects were very loud. The dialogue is very quiet. I'm assuming that's not a normal issue with it. I think it was just the version we watched through Prime, but it was quite bad. It made this movie difficult to follow too. Right. We couldn't always tell what was being said yeah and yet somehow i feel like we didn't miss much no i don't think so i will admit i also like got up to make tea during the movie because i just realized i wouldn't miss anything that exciting and you never did no i i did call you in one time to see an outfit and the bathtub scene yes but like the outfits are something that's worth mentioning in this movie because um the costume designer got a very unique credit (laughs) so the official crediting of the costumes in this. Specifically for Barbra Streisand. Yeah, as written in the credits are Miss Streisand's clothes from dot 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 her closet. Absurd. Absurd. And that's just how it reads in the credits as they scroll by at the end of the movie. Yeah, because I mean, the thing is, it could have also just been like wardrobe provided by Miss Streisand. Yep. This is them like throwing down the gauntlet being like, 
She's the star. I'm sure she wrote it. She gets what she wants. Probably. Um, by the way, speaking of uh, things with streaming for this movie. Yeah. Streisand signed a deal with Netflix this past summer to bring a bunch of her movies to Netflix, including a lengthened cut of this movie. How? <laughs> making some of the concert scenes longer. Ergo, making this movie more of a Barbara Streisand concert and throwing in some other scenes too. I mean, I'm excited because I've never seen like Yentl or funny girl that is a movie face? that is also a movie which one is barbara streisand i which do not know not sure do not know um should we move it to the point let's just do it should we just move through this movie let's just get this episode done okay uh, compared to the star is born that we saw this weekend this one is much less recent yes much older um so point number one a star is conceived Oh, this is going to be a thing, isn't it? Oh, yeah. It oh, is boy. a thing. It is a thing that you encouraged me to pursue. Don't make it seem like this was my idea. This was a little bit my idea. Uh, this was entirely my idea. <laughs> I think I made it as an offhand joke, and then Will forced me to write all of the points around this. I have no regrets. Okay, so the star is conceived. Um, after getting real drunk, forcing his audience to wait two and a half hours, and then performing one song and then leaving. Woo! Chris Christopherson ends up at a bar. Um, by the way, when he, he shows up late, takes a hit of coke off his friend's hand, and then goes on stage. True. Drunk and coked up. Yep. Uh, his friend, played by Gary Busey. That's right. Who's very young. It's unsettling how young yeah. he is. Still has big teeth. Yeah, I don't think... He's not a, a beaver where the teeth just grow longer as he gets older. I kind of expected them to, because I feel like they're less distinct in this. What, if you cut Gary Busey's teeth open, you can see the rings to tell how old he is? I just mean, like... You think of Gary Busey nowadays and you think of his massive teeth, but in this movie you were never distracted by them. I suppose so. You know what I mean? Yeah. He's also barely on screen. Barely anyone besides Streisand and Christopherson is ever on screen. That's true. I don't. I couldn't tell you any side character's name. There's somebody named Brian. I think Brian is the manager. I think he's the guy with the long dark hair. Yeah. And then there are other people with other names. There's entirely unnecessary characters, like that radio DJ that... Oh, yeah. Is very mad at That's a weird scene. Whose name is John Norman Howard? That's it. You got it. I I just have him as Jack in all my notes. Or sometimes as KK. Yeah. John Norman Howard, and then her name is Esther Hoffman Howard. That's right. Well, spoiler alert, they get married. What? But, you know, as with every episode, we will be... Talking about the whole plot. Right, exactly. So he shows up late, like Mark said. He performs one song and then he bounces. And as he's leaving, he holds up the mic like he's giving them the bird. Because he's a bad boy. Rock and roll. I would have left. I don't know how there are any people left in that audience after two and a half hours. It's astonishing. It's shocking. So then we cut to, we see Barbara Streisand. And she is singing, like, weird lounge songs. Yeah. In a, like... Music hall. It's a music hall for sure. There's yeah. a big stage. Right, and there's and a balcony. tables. Yeah. It's not like um normal bar setup. Right. So she's singing in like a music hall as part of the Oreos. Oh my god, Will. When they said that, so they announced the band The Oreos. Barbara Streisand's two backup singers, two black women. Right. Standing next to each other, singing at the microphone. They move apart. Barbara Streisand goes in the middle. And I was just like, are you kidding me? <laughs> It is, uh, it's an interesting choice. I just don't know where you would have thought of this. Yeah, it is very strange. It feels like almost like, I don't even know, like, 
It's just such a weird choice. My guess is that they cast the two backup singers. And then they were like, oh. When they staged that scene, they were just like, whoa, look at this. It's two black people on the outside and a white person in the middle. <laughs> you know what that looks like. So, meanwhile, while she's singing, Jack is, like, wandering through, very drunk, crashing talking. into stuff, talking to people, and they yeah, finish the song. Talk too because he's a famous star. Right. And at the end, she, like, leans down to him and she's like, hey, you're blowing my act, and just tells him off. Yeah. So she is, like, not at all phased by his fame. No, not at all. Because she's Barbara Streisand, she's already famous. Right, exactly. She doesn't really... She weirdly, like, doesn't do a whole lot in the movie. Yeah, so, like, in the 54 version, I've only seen the beginning, the part (laughs) before she, the star is born. Yeah. She is very self-effacing and very much like, oh, no, I can't be a star. Like, Barbara Streisand never has that moment. Right, it's always just kind of like, well, yes, of of course. She's, like, kind of perplexed by some of the details, but she never doubts. She's always just like, oh, yes. Naturally, all of this should come to me. And that's what makes the story so boring, too, is there's no real internal conflict over, like, whether she should do this or not. Like, whether she's good enough. And anytime she's having a conflict with him, they just resolve it by making out. Yeah, every time. They never actually resolve any of their arguments. Yeah. Okay, but back to the point. So she starts singing again. He continues to, like, chat with people and stuff. And then at one point he tries to, like, stop and watch her and people are still trying to talk to him. So he punches one in the face. Yeah. Starts a big fight. There's a huge fight, and then for some reason she decides to save him. Yeah. She, like, pulls him out the back door. She, like, sneaks him out where his car is waiting. Yeah. I, I guess, like, yeah. the alley is where the car is just hanging out. So they, uh, he gets in the car, and he kind of makes her get in the car with him. Yeah, kind of pulls her in. And then she asks, like, what am I doing in your car? And he says, are you married? And it's a very creepy scene. Yeah. So they drive her home. And he, as they're driving, he compliments her singing, he compliments her eyes, he compliments her butt. Yep. And when they get to her place, he, like, immediately, like, asks to go in with her. And she says, no. But she invites him to breakfast. Yeah, so she says that he can come back in the morning, as in, in three hours. Right. 4 a.m., and they decide to meet at 7. Um, and so that was, uh, maybe that was some method acting, since they were only getting three hours of sleep anyway. Probably. So he says, you know, I don't eat breakfast, but... I'll come just to see you. I'm a grizzled man with a beard like Jim Henson's. Yeah, the exact same, like, two gray spots right. on the side. So, I know they made the, like, Muppet parody of the 2018 trailer. Yeah. This movie should be made with Muppets. I think it would be really good. This would be an incredible Muppet movie. Even a... this version of it yeah. with Muppets, because then it would be a joke. Yeah. And it would be Miss Piggy. Honestly, Kermit and Miss Piggy are the perfect casting for, for Star Is Born. Yeah, it'd be great. And that Fozzie Bear as the manager. The Electric Bayhem as the backup band. Yeah, it works so well. <laughs> Why are we not doing this? Disney. Hands and company. Disney, call us. Call us. We'll figure this out. We've got it. Uh, so, point number two. Will. Well, yeah. What is the title of point number two? <laughs> this was my joke. <laughs> point number two, a star is gestating. <laughs> so, he shows up for breakfast. And... She tells him that her marriage ended because her husband wouldn't fight, which is weird. Also, her house is kind of weird. Yeah. so it's All of the houses in this movie are weird. It's not a rags to riches story because she lives in a massive house. Yeah. In LOA? Question mark? Unclear. Yeah. All locations are unclear. They filmed it mostly in Tempe. Yeah. So he comes in with a pizza. Yes. Breakfast, right. But doesn't really And immediately starts it, looking for booze. Yeah. 
because he doesn't eat breakfast. He slept in his car. Like, he parked his car on her street and slept in it for the three hours and then walked in at seven. Yeah. Is this around when he tells her that he loves her because she's the first girl in a year he's talked to who has a last name? Probably. Which Uh, is a weird statement. Yeah. Because all those girls had last names. You just didn't ask about them. Yeah. He also is like, they're talking. She's like, oh, why should I be with you or something? And he's like, there's still so many things I don't know about you. Like your social security number. I think that's a funny joke. It is, but everything just feels so creepy. All of it's creepy. Like, that on its own is kind of a funny joke. And I wrote in my notes already at this point, we're like 30 minutes in, there are just so many shots of Barbara looking. Yes. It's all, like, just, like, still shots of Barbara Streisand. There's so much of it. Yeah. And so that's when he tells her, like, oh, yeah, like, I'm here to pick you up for a flight. We're yeah. going to my concert. So for some reason, and she's like, she I think, to go. and it's like, do you have a life? Do you have somewhere to be? Do you have a job besides the lounge? Do you need to be at the lounge? I guess no. Apparently not. Answered all of those questions because she gets on a helicopter to an arena stage in the middle of nowhere, and she sits on the stage. Like, she's on the side. She's backstage. Like, yeah. With but it's, like, an outdoor thing. With, like, the manager and people like yeah. that. It's outdoors. So um, she's sitting there watching him drink whiskey from the bottle as he sings. Takes a bump of cocaine before going on. Always. Gotta get that lucky Coke. Yeah. So then he sings a song, tries to bring her out on stage. She is a hard no. She is a hard no. He's like, just sing one of the so songs. he leaves the stage, takes someone's motorcycle. <laughs> Someone offers it to him. Who offers it to him rides it onto stage and the crowd is loving this at that point they're like really angry when he leaves because i'm guessing he has a reputation for leaving during concerts i wouldn't be surprised and so then he shows back up riding this motorcycle on stage and you're like all right this is kind of cool yeah but he is not a particularly good motorcycle rider and so he rides it straight off the stage and gets hurt and then the concert ends and she is left behind Yes. Like, she watches the car that drove her from the helicopter pad to the stage drive away. She watches the helicopter fly away. Oh, well, I'm sorry. He left and wound up with the motorcycle because when he tried to pull her on stage, she eventually ran away. Right. She ran off stage. Yeah. And And so so he was chasing chasing her and then fans are surrounding him and one of them offers him the motorcycle. Yeah. (laughs) And she runs back when he rides his motorcycle off the stage. It does a lot of, you're going to kill yourself. What are you doing? She does a lot of that. Uh, spoiler, he kills himself. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Foreshadowing. Yeah. So then, yeah, he, like, is hurt. I think his leg is broken or something. Yeah. They're just hanging out at his house and talking about... Well, there's a weird run where they're not talking to each other. Right. After this. Not them. It's him and his manager and people are hanging out at his house and talking about how... Things are bad, like, financially, and no one wants to book him because he's riding motorcycles on stage. Right? Is that this point? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so then he runs into Esther at the radio station when he goes in to, like, beat up the radio host who's mean to him. She's recording an advertisement. Right. Like, she's recording a radio commercial with the Oreos. Right. And so he confronts her for not calling her back, and she's like, I did, but you changed your phone number. And he's like, go out with me, meet my mother, marry me. Because nothing can have any degrees in this movie because there's no time for scenes that build. Yeah, that's, like, one thing I noticed is the only concert venue we see that's not an arena stage or a full, like, opera house auditorium is the concert hall where she's introduced singing. She goes immediately from, like, singing on stage at one of his concerts, which we'll talk about. To stadium tours. To stadium tours. Yeah. 
There's no slow build. She's not playing the 930 Club. She's not playing even the Anthem. She's straight to Capital One Arena. (laughs) So after they meet up then and he's like, meet my mother, marry me. They go back to his place and she starts playing piano and like he's really into it. And he's like, oh yeah, play that piano. Get it. Play the piano. And then he, uh, uh, they start making out with their terrible like mouth touching kisses. Oh god, the first one, my note, is just, ew, their first kiss is so gross. Every kiss is like that. It's so It's bad. very upsetting. And then, uh, they continue to kiss weirdly, and then he carries her to Bone Town. On the waterbed. Oh, right, it's on a waterbed, I forgot about that. Yep. That's a weird choice. Oh boy. Have you ever been on a waterbed? Maybe when I was, like, a tiniest of child. I don't think I have either, but I, every time I think about them, I remember that joke from The Big Sick, where he talks about his air mattress. And Emily says, oh, you don't have a real mattress? And he says, this is a real mattress. You're just racist against mattresses. So maybe we're uh, we're racist against waterbeds. They're so weird. And then they, like, are in the bath. Oh, yeah, they're in the... And they're doing this, like, very sensual hand-touching. Because so much of this movie is just shit like this instead of plot. (laughs) Right. I hate it so much. There's so much of it. Why is there just so much of them sitting in a bathtub looking at each other instead of any conflict or And the problem is that they're... Kissing is so uncomfortable because it doesn't make any sense. And so you're just watching it and being like, when will this please end? God, it's so bad. (laughs) Oh my God. Okay. At this point, we also learned that like his album that he was supposed to come out with is long overdue because he's been helping her write songs and produce stuff. And so it's clear that like he's focusing a little bit more on her stuff than on his own. Right. Because he's not happy musically either, I think. Because he's not writing new music. Right, exactly. I mean, he's got horrible alcoholism. He has been running his music career poorly even prior to this, given his two and a half hour late to a concert before he's met her. Yeah. So this feels like an ongoing progression that started before the movie starts. And then Barbara Streisand points out that being with her has cut back on his drinking. Like, he's... That's true, yeah. ...being a healthier person, even if he's not being super productive. Right. And this is when we see them then at the studio. This is the evergreen scene. Yeah. She's recording music at the studio, and he's in the booth with her as they're recording and singing this song and doing their horrible kissing God, <laughs> as they do. So a lot of that, like, sensual hand throbbing yeah. as it goes on, too. Imagine, like, two jellyfish repeatedly bumping into each other. <laughs> so that brings us to point number three. A star is crowning. So <laughs> after this, they go to one of his concerts and again stadium tours it's not a full stadium tour this is more of the auditorium because this is the fundraiser oh right right, right. yeah yeah. that'll book him because it's a fundraiser so they're looking for anyone with name recognition right so she is backstage well he goes to the microphone he's like i'm not gonna play any of my old stuff because i've stumbled across something real my beard looks like i make muppets but my music is hardcore And then he pulls Esther out on stage with him. Yeah, and then she sings a song that's classic Barbara Streisand. So in no way is it a John Norman Howard song. No. And the Oreos are there? Yeah, I don't know where they came from. them on as his backup singers, apparently. (laughs) Yeah, they're the most bewildering part of this movie. Because they're always there. (laughs) I know. At every performance, you're like, well, we hired two backup singers for this movie, and we are going to get our money's worth. Yeah. By the way, the audience immediately loves her, despite the fact that they are. she is not at all singing what they paid for. Nope. One person shouts at her immediately like, you're dynamite, but get rid of the creep. Which, fair in a vacuum, but in this movie, like, I know. So then she's 
off stage and she's rushed with people like, I want to represent you. I want to make you a star. Right. But they don't realize this star is already crowning. Someone even says, um, asks her what she's going to change her name to, which I can tell is definitely Barbara Streisand being annoyed at the anti-Semitism of people wanting her to change her name. Yes. I'm sure. That was an interesting idea for them to include or not include in the 2018 version with Lady Gaga. Um, well, looking at her Wikipedia page, she was born Barbara. Really? And changed it. (laughs) Are you kidding me? Barbara Joan. This is... Quotation mark. Barbara. Unacceptable. quotation mark, Streisand. I am livid right now because I spelled it Barbara and you gave me crap for it. And perhaps I was wrong, but who among us is really wrong? (laughs) Okay, back to the movie. Okay, yeah. So anyway, they're leaving and they go straight to getting married. Yeah, so they're leaving and he's like telling her all about her touring life future and how great it's going to be. And she's like, marry me. I want to marry you. It's her idea. And he's like, no, you don't. I'm an alcoholic. And she's like, no, I want to be with you. And so then uh, they get married. And the best character in this movie appears on screen. The Justice of the Peace. The Justice of the Peace. She has no time for their crap. No, she hates them so much. She's like, I already gave you special treatment by letting you do it outside. I'm not about to run through some whole nonsense ceremony that you want. So they basically do the I do, I do. She has weird flowers and then strewn in her perm. The civil servant, those actually look kind of cool. They do. I like them. The civil servant then gives them this box and is like, here's your gift from the city. And I desperately want to know what that is. No, they read it later. The only one I remember is there's like a strawberry douche. And I was like, Barbara, don't douche. It's bad. Oh my. So then after this, he takes her to his ranch. Oh yeah. Marks. He's like, we're going to live on my ranch. Where, surprise, there's no house. They ride horses out to it. Their honeymoon is building a house. <laughs> building the house. So- I don't, they ride out there and she's like, I thought, there's like twine out marking the, yeah. where the house would be. And she's like, I thought it was built. And he's like, not yet. Here, why don't I carry you over? Right. So he picks her up and carries her over the twine. And then they just have sex in the dirt there. Yeah. And then surprise, the honeymoon is building a house. And it's ugly. It's ugly. If it's just like ever- Adobe, behe- it's not a behemoth. It's not huge. It's just like Adobe turd. With no rooms. There's like a loft where the bed is. Right. But if someone ever surprised me with a honeymoon where I had to build a house, the divorce papers would be on the judge's desk (laughs) within five minutes. I would immediately return to the city hall where I'd just been and say, undo this, please. It's worth noting, this is the point in my notes where I really processed just how hairless Chris Christopherson is in this movie. Yeah. He has this big, bushy Jim Henson beard, but is completely hairless below it to, like, a creepy degree. It's unsettling. And they're just so bad at sex. All of their physical contact makes me uncomfortable. Yeah. I hate all of it. And I think Chris Christopherson did too. Yeah. And then they fight, and then I don't know why. Will, do you remember why they fight? I can never keep track of any of their fights because they have no consequences for the story. They always are just like, all right, I guess we'll make out. Yeah. But that's not even a thing. Like, it's not a plot point that they don't resolve their issues. Yeah, so at one point... And remember, she once divorced a guy because he wouldn't fight. So at one point they're in a fight and he goes out on his motorcycle and is doing donuts and stuff. And after she says, if you die, I'll kill you. More foreshadowing. Oh no! I think point four? Yeah, point four. A star is born. So now she's a star without any, like, on-screen discussion of this. All right. of a sudden she's she a just is. celebrity. Yeah, like, we Play. know that she played at his one concert, and she yeah. recorded some music, and then Brian, the manager, shows up to the farm, and he's just like, the public wants Esther. They want her music. 
They need her to go on tour. And that's this is like not him BSing. This is true, apparently true. She's playing full stadiums. Right. Like, and she's they're playing like places Barbara Streisand would play. Right. And Jack is like, well, what about me? I'm working on stuff. And Brian's like, you've blown it. You've taken too long. Sooner or later, you're just going to get a lawsuit from the record company for not fulfilling your contract. Your star has waned, sir. Your star is not born. It is at best middle-aged. Yeah. So they're fighting. And Jack is like, we don't belong on the same stage, but I don't want you off on your own. It's like, get over yourself, Jack. But then, so they fight, but then they stop, and she's on tour, and they seem happy. He's not on stage with her, but sometimes he's there. Then she wins a Grammy. And then she wins a Grammy. The Grammys that- are attended by approximately 30 people. The location is smaller than where the Oreos perform. Yeah. But, so, he's not there when they actually call out her name for the Grammy. He stumbles in during her acceptance speech really drunk. Yeah, he's been upset about stuff. Like, he'll answer the phone at his own home and he'll be like, No, this isn't her secretary. No, I'm not her answering service. I created the Muppets! Yeah. So, so he shows up at the Grammys. Like talking about it like there's conflict, but keep in mind all of these scenes last five minutes and then it's resolved. Right. So then he shows up at the Grammys hammered yeah and she starts off just like she wins her grammy she's excited she's like i didn't think i was gonna win and i wrote my notes on the tablecloth so i don't have them up here with me oh no she's so charming but i just want to like thank some of the people like my husband and my manager and like thanks you guys are great and then he like drunkenly comes up and he's like you don't know me you don't know anybody for what you do and then he like rambles about that for a while and then he demands an award for himself for worst performance it is uh rough stuff and then security takes him away yeah um and then she actually like tries to revitalize his career this is when she's like trying to help him yeah she's talking to brian she's wearing this uh big dress and she's got this like gem in the middle of her forehead she looks like the vision yeah she gets mad at brian for not being a friend to him because they were friends before he was john norman's manager right and she's like look he's writing some new music you should check it out like you know and he says a line that is advice she probably should have taken where he says i don't have to believe something that's not true anymore and I was like, girl, you probably should realize that too and get out of there. Yeah. Get out of this weird Adobe yeah. turd you live in. Yeah. And so then uh, in another scene, Jack gets home and that's where he finds this journalist, Quentin, topless in his pool. Uh, oh, yeah. He uh, he announces that he wants to st- – he had been in a meeting. He wants to start his own label. And then he gets home and Quentin is topless in his pool. And she's like, yeah, I want an interview. And he's like, all right. And then he, she's like, with Esther. Yeah, so her plan is to sleep with Esther's husband to get an interview with Esther. Yeah, I think it's the premise that, like, he is kind of managing her, even though Brian's the official one. Yeah. The idea that, like, he's a point of access, and so then he can get her into Esther. It's not a great plan. No. (laughs) Esther comes home with them in bed, and Jack is just like, this girl wants to interview you. And she pulls out the tape recorder, which she just, like, has in bed with her. Right, she is naked in bed with Esther's husband and thinks that she will get an interview with Esther. Right then. Right there it's, it's astonishing rid- oh my god so esther storms out and uh jack goes after her and then uh they start to make out again because all their fights are just resolved with them making out alternately saying i hate you and i love you yes and he just like kind of holds on to her and she's like i hate you i want you to go away and then when he's, he's like no like, i love you i'm gonna leave then i'm gonna like, touch my lips to your you. lips Come back here. And again, I think I wrote, why are they so bad at kissing four times in my notes? And this is resolved with them deciding to go on tour together. Yep. They decide to go on tour together. The next day, he's... Maybe the next day. No. I think it's like the the next day. Yeah. He's... Point number five? Point number five. A star's husband dies. Yep. (laughs) 
So the next morning, he's supposed to go pick up uh, Brian from the airport. From the airport, and he's drunk. He's driving at 160 miles an hour, and he crashes his car off screen. If it's suicide or an accident, I think it's suicide. I think it's suicide. I think he kills himself. It's unclear. The alcoholism and possible depression really get to him. Yeah, there's a five-minute scene where Barbara Streisand hears a tape recording and then yells at him for dying and rips up the tape. Right. So that's five minutes. Then the last seven minutes (laughs) after that scene are just Barbara Streisand singing with a static shot of her face. Right. The full seven minutes. Yeah, so she's singing one of his songs and it starts off as this, like, sad song and then it ends as this, like, really aggressive like, pump-up tune. Yep, and she's over it and the movie ends. Yep. Seems like she's over her husband's death and the star is stillborn. Here's the thing, is like, in a stage musical, you yeah. could process something like that over the course of one song. The problem but, is, I never feel like I'm seeing that happening in this. Yeah, you also need to be singing about your feelings. Right. Which she's not doing. Correct. She's just moving on to the next song of the Barbara Streisand concert that is the film A Star Is Born. So what do you think of the relationship in this I think movie? it's hot garbage. <laughs> it's so bad. I rate it very lowly. Chris Christopherson does not want to be touching Barbara Streisand. Oh, clearly. Yeah. What? Where are you going to score this? Like a two. Yeah, I think that's right. This is a two. Yeah. It is like a smidge plausible, uh, but no more than that. I'm going to guess I know the answer. Are they dateable? Absolutely not. Nope. If you did have to pick one person, who would it be? The justice of the peace. Yep. She's got some sass, and she has no time for the crap that fills this movie. Maybe the photographer who, like, is just in the room while they're fighting. Because she has no shame about doing her job. Yeah, no, she's good. Guys, we're picking people with two lives. (laughs) They're in one scene. Also, there are, like, no characters besides the two of them, and we don't want to date them. Um... Do you think they'd stay together? Uh, he's well, dead. He is dead as a doornail. <laughs> I'm just reading off the script, not paying attention. I left that on as a joke. Yep. He did. Um, I think that does it. Great. Great. Let's get into PD summaries. PD summaries! So we need a better hashtag. Yes, we do. So these, of course, as always, are brought to us by listener Rachel R. And we're working our way through the novels in Meg Kabat's Princess Diaries series. Last week, we did Princess in Waiting in which Mia, for the first time, visited Genovia, the country of which she is a princess. She installed parking meters, which caused a huge political scandal. She agonized for most of the book about whether Michael loved her or was in love with her. And he told her he was in love with her, which was very sweet. Then also she decided to be a writer, and they came out with a movie based on her life, which was definitely not a reference to the Princess Diaries movie, and she definitely didn't complain that, why is the dad dead, and why is the grandma nice? This isn't like my life at all, but I wish I had gotten a makeover like the girl in the movie. Anyway, today we're covering the fifth novel in this series, which is called Princess in Pink. Such great drama. Keep in mind that it was middle-slash-high-school Rachel reading these. I actually got super lucky and had relatively little drama in my real life, so I got it all from books. Prom and Mia's 15th birthday, because she's a freshman, are coming up. Apparently she goes to prom in a freshman year? She's hoping that Michael will ask her to prom for her birthday. Oh, because he's a senior. Oh, this... I didn't realize that was the difference between them. Ooh. I'm less into this. Yeah. They go out to a birthday dinner that's just family plus Michael, where he gives her a box that looks like it might have prom tickets, but actually has a snowflake necklace because they got together at the winter dance. At the end of dinner, Grandma's toy poodle who lives in her purse... I haven't touched on him yet, but Mia hates him and thinks he's basically a rat of a dog. Hold on. Why does Julie Andrews not have a toy poodle in her purse in every scene? Objection, Gary Marshall. Poodle jumps out of the purse and gets some busboy fired. I don't remember how, but it's unambiguously Grandmare's fault. Lily organizes a protest for said busboy. 
Later, at Mia's birthday party, she asks Michael during Seven Minutes in Heaven whether he's going to ask her to prom, and he says he'd prefer to go bowling. But there's no dancing at bowling. Okay, we can go dancing. I'll take you to the rainbow room. No! And that ruins the making out. But then Lily shows up and goes to Seven Minutes in Heaven with the busboy who got fired! Not Boris! They get to second base, and Boris is heartbroken. So the next day at school, he drops a globe on his head to demonstrate to Lily how much he loves her. His head bleeds profusely, but Mia and Michael care for him. Right after that, Boris and Tina starts dating. This again is Tina, the daughter of the oil sheik. Lily realizes she may have made a mistake, but it's too late. Meanwhile, all the busboys in the city have started striking, which means there's nowhere to hold prom! Because prom happens in restaurants? Yes. Apparently. Bus boys, but Grandmare has connections and arranges for it to be held on the Empire State Building Observation Desk because Grandmare is a union buster. <laughs> we gotta put a stop to her. Uh, and Mia convinces the head of the prom committee, Lana, who we have not talked about, but she's about the same as she is in the movie, to have Michael's band play for it, which means that she gets to go to prom and Tina gets to come too because Boris is in the band, so he gets a guest even though he's also a freshman. So everyone is happy except Lily. Also, on the night of the prom, Mia's half-brother is born. His name is Rocky. Rocky Gianni. Oh my god, these are getting crazier. They are just getting crazier. Yeah. I'm into it. Next week, we're actually going back to the well of the great 90s rom-coms. About time. First Nora Ephron film. Ooh. We're doing 1993's Sleepless in Seattle. Oh, I'm really excited to see this. I've never watched it before. Me neither. I can't wait. Uh, until then, of course, you can always follow the show on Facebook and Twitter at Heart of Podness, and you can email us questions or movie suggestions at heartofpodness at gmail.com. Oh my god, well, I just remembered we have to give dating advice. <laughs> before we do that, make sure you rate, review, and subscribe. It helps other people find the show. All right, Mark, what's the best piece of dating advice you got from this movie? Never kiss. Just <laughs> rub your mouth against the person. <laughs> I was going to say, uh, if you're taking someone home... You don't actually need to have a home to take them to. Fair enough. Just take them to an open field. Force them to build your home for you. <laughs> Ooh, there's a good idea. Okay. That's a good second date, is building a house. There you go. Until next time, I'm gay. And I'm a ginger, which means between the two of us, we know everything there is to know about romance. Bye! Barbara Streisand. Barbara